is then we would see who could get as far up the other side of the hill. Um, so anyway, what we would do is we would pedal for all it's worth and then it would just kind of, we would be going just a nice speed and remember we'd be two or three wide and it's not a very wide lane, but we'd be going a nice speed and then we would start coasting and we would go faster and faster and faster and so as a kid it seemed like by the time we got down to the lowest point, which is right there at the bridge, we could be um, going pretty much at breakneck speed and hope that we wouldn't careen out of control and end in the baptismal pond or hit the bridge or anything like that. And as I think about that, um, when Clem called me last night and I agreed, I wanted to keep this positive. But if any of you have been reading the news or being involved in anything about what's been going on around us the past couple of weeks, it appears to me like we are going at breakneck speed really towards careening completely out of control. And that's just how I feel. Um, from just events of, uh, you know, the political events to some things that happened last Sunday night to... Uh, yesterday, and I want to be—I want to be appropriate. But yesterday, I was reading Fox News, and there's an article on there that's not even worth mentioning here today. It, it is that bad. And then on our way home uh, from Florida, we were watching something, and there was a commercial that came on, and I think our jaws were practically on the floor. It was—I could not believe my ears. And it just seems like it's just completely out of control. And I read an article even that there was a, um, uh, I think he was an aide maybe to President Clinton, and he said that he was a very liberal Democrat. And he said the left have just went so far beyond anything he can even imagine. And it just seems like we're like on those bikes just going and just going, and it's just like we're wobbling out of control. But one of the things that I learned through that was, and you know, we all know this when we're going down a highway, and there's a situation that makes Mary Kate really nervous, and that's when there's a semi on one side and a wall on the other. And I say, you know, don't look at the semi or don't look at the wall because you'll go toward that, but just look where you're going. And so that's kind of a little bit what I want to talk about. Um, Randy talked a little bit about one of the churches um, for those of you that don't know, we're going through the seven churches in our Bible study, and um, he talked a little this morning about the church at Ephesus. I have Pergamos on my mind because last week, um, Zach did a really nice job, and he talked about the word worldly. And, you know, a lot of us don't really like that word. Um, we kind of maybe got tired of it, I don't know. But um, James 1, 27 says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep themselves unspotted from the world. So it is a biblical principle. And I want to talk a bit about that being unspotted from the world because it's all around us. I mean, you just read, just get on the news or, or social media. I mean, it's just we are inundated with it. Friday night, Mary Kate and I went to um, the Caroline for dinner. And I'm thinking about this unspotted from the world. And I had a new shirt on. And I think you know where this is going. I just have a problem. 
And I think sometimes if it wasn't, if my stomach wasn't so close to the table, maybe I'd have a better. But so try as I might, I wanted to not get a spot on this new shirt. And what I had had pasta in it. And so I was ever so careful. Every bite, I would take my fork and twist it on the spoon. And, and I was really doing good. But one little careless moment, and the pasta flipped a little bit. And there was oil on my shirt. And so isn't that kind of the way with us in the world? We can try ever so hard to become unspotted from the world, but really it's not a lot that we can do. God has to do the work. And he is a redeeming God. And he has to, we have, he does the work, but we have to let him do it. Um, I'm thinking about Exodus 20. Um, and, and it's verse 3 and 7, and to me, I think that that is, when I, when I read the news and when I look all about everything around us with the worldliness that is going on about us, and then when I think about my own life, I think that there's two answers in God doing the work. And I'm going to read 3 and 17, but we're going to focus just a little bit on 3, and it's the Ten Commandments. Um, verse 3 says, um, hang on, I'm at the wrong place. Um, I'm at Exodus 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's verse 3. And then verse 17 is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, nor shalt thou covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor any ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is his neighbor's. And I've just been, I, I, I kind of just have been thinking here about, you know, what is, what is the answer? And yes, we, God has to do the work, but we have to allow him to do it. But I really think that when I get up in the morning, you guys probably all do a really good job, but I don't always. I don't always go to, I don't always make him king of my life, or I don't always make him first. You know, I have my phone, and I might get on Fox News, or I might get on Instagram. And I'm just asking myself, am I making him the, the, am I making him king of my life? There are so many idols out there, and you choose. I'm not going to sit here and give a list of idols. You know, it could be as much as, as how we do church. That could be an idol in our life. All the way down to, you know, I mean, there's so many. We, we pay... We pay professional sports people. I think there was the Kobe was worth six hundred million, you know, and I don't have a problem with that. So he, I don't idolize that because I don't really love sports. But there's so many things that I could idolize: my home, my yard, my job. On and on and on. You choose. But we have got to make God first in our lives. He has got to be King of Kings and and Lord of Lords, and. You know, I don't, I don't want that to be a, a, I don't want to leave that on a negative thing because he is in the business of redeeming. And I have, I have personal testimonies that I could give where over the years I have given ground to the enemy. And I remember just earnestly praying that God would redeem that and take back that ground and there are areas in my life that I still need to do that. I'm not perfect, but I do have some testimonies where he did restore the years that I allowed the locusts to eat. And so I'm just, I'm just pleading with all of us together as a group that we, that we make Jesus king of our lives. And, and let's not get all those...
those spots on us. I know that, like I, I keep saying it, that we have to let God do that work, but, but, but that's our responsibility to let him do that work. So, um, Gary, I'm going to ask you to pray, and um, we will take any prayer requests. One that I have is just to pray for Clem for the message. Anybody? All right, let's go to prayer.
Randy opened this morning, and he quoted that verse, because iniquity abounds, the love of many is waxed cold. And I've had this burden on my heart for a while, I suppose, and most of you can turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 7, and we'll get there in just a moment. This morning's message may be just a little different than most. As our concern this morning is a numbness and acceptance and a compromise that is all around us, as Bill shared in the opening. And it seems like we live in a world, in a culture that Peter was speaking about when he wrote these words in 2 Peter 2.14. And he talked of a people having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children which have forsaken the right way and gone astray. I want to read to you, as we begin, just a couple verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 and 10, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, Be not deceived, no fornicators, no idolaters, no adulterers, no effeminate, no abusers of themselves with mankind, no thieves, no covetous, no drunkards, no revilers, no extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then I just want to read you a few verses, a few words from verse 18, which is where we get the title of our message this morning from. King James says, flee fornication. Some of your Bibles say, flee sexual immorality. And the title of our message this morning is this, run, man, run! Do you know how to run? Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7, and he's been talking kind of on this subject here for, for a couple chapters. He picks up here in verse, in, in verse 1, and he says this, he's talking to a young man, I guess you could say, he says, my son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. He's telling him to grasp what he's saying, to comprehend what he's saying, to remember what he's saying, and to lay them up with you to, to, to really understand and believe them. Keep my commandments. Here's a good reason. And live. This is, these are for life. And my law as the apple of thine eye. Something that is special. Something that's important. Bind them upon thy fingers. And write them upon the table of thy heart. Take them in. Take them fully. The psalmist says, Thy word have I hid in my heart. And and that's what I hear him saying here. Write them upon the table of thy heart. Verse 4. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. I don't know exactly what all he's saying here with these two words, but I hear him saying, you want to have wisdom, you want to have understanding. And 
I was at a meeting this week, and um, it was an ag meeting, and he, he just talked about understanding and knowledge and how important they are and how much of it we have available to us. And, and he suggested that wisdom was the practical application of knowledge and understanding. And I think that would fit well here. We can know. I, I had to think about the wise man and the foolish man there in Matthew 7. And it says that they both heard the Word. We can know. We can have knowledge. We can have understanding. But until we have wisdom, until we actually apply what we have learned, uh, we, don't, we don't get anywhere. We're, we're simply building our house on the sand Verse 5, here's why. Here's why you want these commands, these laws, these words, this advice, this instruction in your heart. Here's why you want wisdom and understanding. That they may keep thee from the strange woman and from the stranger which flattereth with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked through my casement. And I read that and I think of a basement for some reason. But he's looking out through the window of his house, I suppose. And... And he says, I beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the young people, a young man void of understanding. A young man who didn't know what he was doing. A young man who didn't know where he was going. A young man who had no purpose in life. And, and I think that's a very important lesson to take from this. That when you have... When you are living without purpose, you may follow the very same path that this young man does here in Proverbs 7. He had no purpose. He went passing through the street near her corner and went the way to her house. And I don't think that he was seeking out her house. This is a young man without purpose. This is a young man who didn't know what he was doing. He was walking life without purpose, happened to go this way. A lack of purpose creates opportunity for failure. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black, and the dark night. Like, all of that is darkness. In the evening, in the twilight, in the black, and the dark night. And that is, no, we know where sin happens, that's where sin thrives. Because when things are brought to the light, they're exposed. Sin cannot live in the light. Verse 10, And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. I don't know what she looked like, but she was dressed like a harlot. She had a subtle heart. Um, not easy to recognize her motives, perhaps a crafty, crafty heart. Goes on in verse 11, She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. She doesn't stay home. She's, she's a loud woman. She, now she is without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him, and she kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day I have paid my vows, and I don't know what she's saying other than this is okay. This, is, this isn't wrong. This is going to be okay. Therefore I came forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. And as I read those verses there, it made me think, 
of that verse in, in 1 Peter where it talks about Satan and it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And it really sounds a lot like that woman. She was loud. She doesn't stay home. She's walking around. It says she was seeking his face diligently and she found him. Not calling, there's maybe less lessons in this message for women this morning. I'll give you just a little one right here. Not calling women of the devil in any way whatsoever, but it is possible to be used for his purposes. And it is an area that we can check our hearts. I believe as women... Uh, that we that we be aware and alert of how we are treating men and how we are presenting ourselves to men and what our motives are v- verse 16 i have i don't understand this um it doesn't sound super attractive to me i can't quite picture it all but i believe that this was something that was very attractive to this young man and i think we can understand that there are things that that attract us sensually in life, I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. This was something that he wanted. And she says, Come, and you got to hear. Like, I could read this in a man's voice, and it, you can not really feel what's going on here. You got to imagine how this must have sounded to this man. Come. Let us take our love, our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. And I think you understand what she's saying there. For the good man is not home. He's gone a long journey. No one's going to know, she says. It's going to be okay. Just tonight. He's taking a bag of money with him. He's going to come home next Tuesday. There's nothing to worry about. With her fair speech, much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. And you know, men, how that is. It feels like you're almost forced into this, as you're in this situation. You're helpless, you have not the strength of yourself. I believe that most of you men can, can feel this, have felt this at some point in your life. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteth to the snare. Or it reminded me as a fish goes after a lure, that bright and shiny object, and it wants it. This bird didn't know that it was for his life. This young man did not know that it was for his life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, attend unto the words of my mouth. Let not your heart decline. This is... This is a going this is a downward motion. 
Let not your heart decline to her ways, nor go astray to her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men. You can think you're strong enough. Many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell. Going down to the chambers of death. You find yourself where this young man found himself. I was going to read a couple verses here and I forgot. When we were back there thinking about him not not having purpose, being void of understanding, and, and along with what Bill opened up with with uh, being between a semi and the guardrail. And I want to I read from Proverbs 4, verses 25 and 26. And it says there, Let thy eyes look right on, and let thy eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Think about where you're going. Look ahead of you. Have a purpose for your life. And I'm not talking about just your, just your life, but, but every, really every moment, every hour of your life. Because you can come home from work and have free time. And it can be dangerous, young men. If you don't have something to do, your mind wanders. You're tired and you can get into trouble. Ponder the path of your feet. Is that what it said? And let your ways be established. Live life on purpose. I want to turn now let's turn to Genesis 39. And as you turn there, I'm going to read to you. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not going to. We're gonna to go to Job just for a moment, but we're gonna let that go for today. Genesis 39. We're going to contrast this young man in Proverbs chapter 7 with another young man. And you're familiar with this story, no doubt. Joseph, a boy who lost his family as a young man, no doubt. I don't know how old he was exactly when he got torn out of his family and he got taken into captivity. And he never saw his father, his mother, his brothers for many years. But he remembered his God. And there there was a lot that happened even up to this point. But in verse 6, he finds himself in a place with a job that is a great job. He's working for a man and he's got oversight over all that this man has. This man, verse says, had left all he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not what he had except for the bread that he did eat. Like, he really didn't even know everything that was going on. Joseph was managing everything he had, it sounds like. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Joseph was well-liked. He was respected. He was a good man. Some of your versions probably say he was a handsome man. And so get this picture. 
In verse 7, you got to get the feel of what was going on here. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. That wasn't all she said. And it wasn't just like she said that. This thing had been, she'd been, she cast her eyes on him. She'd been looking at him. She'd been desiring him. And she finally invited him to spend the night with her. But he refused. And he said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not, that's, that's a hard word to understand, doesn't know what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because you are his wife. How can I sin this great wicked, do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it reminds me there of Eve in the garden. You know, she, had, she was able to partake of any tree in the garden except for that one. And that's what Joseph's saying here. He's kept nothing back from me except for you because you're his wife. And the difference between the response of Eve and of Joseph there. And it came to pass... As she spake to Joseph every day, it didn't just happen once. It kept on going. You could look at that and you could say, well, Joseph should have got another job. Why was why did he keep why did he keep that job if she was kept after him every day? Wasn't he putting himself in a position to fail? Every day he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass, after a while, one day, Joseph went into, his, into the house to do his business, and there was no one else in there with him. And she caught him by his garment, and she said, lie with me. And we see character and we see integrity. And we see a man running from sexual immorality here. He left his garment in her hand and he fled and he got out of there. Run, man, run. It came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth. Excuse me. That she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. She's again sounding like First Peter, or kind of a roaring lion seeking whom she can devour here in this situation. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got out of here. So she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And you know what happened. There was consequences. 
he did the right thing. Maybe no one would have known. She said it was going to be all right. She said she wouldn't tell. And he did the right thing, and he ended up, you know that, but I would just ask you, uh, you know, sometimes we can do the right thing, and it feels like we almost get punished for it in life. Sometimes we do. Or there's things happen just like it did to Joseph. But, um, you know, if you, you, can, you can know the rest of the story of Joseph, and you can know his faithfulness. And yeah, he went to prison for a while. But God restored him to, to another great job and, and his life and allowed him to come back with his family. And, you know, you think, that, think about that and you contrast that with that young man in Proverbs chapter 7. Her ways lead to hell. I do want to go to Job. I want to to read these verses in Job. They're some of the most powerful verses at at a point in my life. Job 31, you're familiar with this, where Job makes a covenant with his eyes not to look upon a woman. Lustfully, it's speaking of. And and then he he goes down there and he says... um, I don't want to read all of this, these 12 verses, but he talks about if, if, if I've walked with vanity in verse 5, if, if my foot has hastened to deceit, if my step has turned out of the way and my heart has walked after my eyes, if my heart has been deceived by a woman, verse 11, this is a heinous crime, he says. Yea, it is an iniquity to be punished by the judges, for it is a fire that consumeth to destruction and would root out all my increase. And sexual immorality will do exactly that. It will consume you. And it will it'll destroy everything that you have. It'll destroy relationships. It'll destroy your family. In fact, um, Job says that. He says uh, in verse 8, let me sow and let another eat, yea, let my offspring be rooted out. I mean, he, he recognizes that if I go down this path, it's going to ruin my children too. has the potential to. God, we know, is greater. And God is able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. God is able to make beauty from ashes. God is faithful to forgive But this is the path that you are taking. It will consume you and root out everything that you have. Another there's so many places you can go with this this topic. It's it's throughout scripture. And there's just warning after warning of it. But I wanna I wanna look at one more here at David. And we're not gonna read this account. But David cast his eyes on Bathsheba while she was taking a bath. David shouldn't have been there. Maybe you say Joseph shouldn't have been there. And you can say that man in Proverbs 7 shouldn't have been there. My question for you this morning is, you're going to end up there. I can guarantee you, you're going to end up there. And my question is, 
What are you going to do? Are you going to respond like the man in Proverbs 7? Are you going to respond like David did? Or are you going to respond like Joseph and run, man, run? David. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we know Nathan, the prophet, came to him and he gave him this parable. What would you do if this happened, David? If this rich man took this poor man's sheep when the rich man had a whole bunch of them, what would you do? And David got upset and he said, that man needs to die. He needs to restore uh, fourfold or hundredfold or something and because he hath had no pity. Verse 10, this is what the response was from the Lord to David. Now therefore... The sword shall never depart from thy house because thou hast despised me and hath taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. This was something that lasted forever. The consequences of this lasted forever in David's life. And you know that he wasn't able to build the temple. The sword shall never depart from thy house. And then verse 11. Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. <laughs> that was probably, that was a very good thing for David, no doubt. He didn't need all his wives anyway, I don't believe. But verse 14, I want to, uh, I want to grasp here because it was true for David and I think it's very true for us today. Howbeit, because of this deed, you have given great occasion, great opportunity to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And when we don't respond like Joseph, and when we respond like David or like the young man without understanding in Proverbs 7, that's exactly what happens, especially as a Christian from a Christian family. You claim to be a follower of Christ, And you give such opportunity for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You have such opportunity for others to say, see, they're a fraud. There's no difference there. You can look at the statistics. i got a pile of them. I'm not even going to share them at all with you today. But the statistics are just staggering. And even among professing followers of Christ... Numbers 32:23. No doubt you've heard that from the time you were a child. Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. There's nothing that can be hidden. It doesn't matter what she says or what he says about nobody finding out, about nobody coming home. Be sure your sin will find you out. The Lord sees. Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. And we know that God showed mercy even to David there because David had said, that man needs to die. 
And, and the Lord had said, well, so be it, everything that David had said. But, but it says there, he says, uh, the, Lord, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. And he didn't cause David to die over that. But the consequences lasted a long, long time, and, and so they will today. So they will in your life as they affect your children and even your grandchildren. They affect your wife. They affect the people that you interact with. And we'll get to that maybe a little bit more. But <clears throat> Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6. And I, I realize this is kind of heavy and not all that fun to think about. I, I, it's, a, it's a warning, I guess, for us. Because iniquity abounds, the love of many is waxed cold, and I feel that all around us there's a hardness. We become more and more desensitized to this topic. But... Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is really the key verse in this chapter as we read through it as believers. He says, and such were some of you. And those two verses that I read in the beginning were right before that. Speaking of, you know, a no fornicator, adulterer, idolater, all of those things are going to inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. That, that word were is so key. That's, that doesn't have to be who you are today. That's not who you are today as a child of God. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And the last time I talked, we talked in, out of John chapter 1 where he says, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. To as many as believed on His name. And if you go on in John chapter 8, and Jesus is right after the woman who was caught in adultery, and He's talking to His disciples, and He says, but if you continue in My Word, then are ye My disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This morning, He wants to give us freedom. He wants to give us the strength to respond like Joseph did. He's given us the information. He's warned us through His Word over and over again. We have the knowledge. Will we have wisdom? Will we hide this Word in our heart that we might not sin against God as Joseph said? Such were some of you. It's who we were. Many of us. All of us. I think, he's, I think uh, some of those were all of us, maybe. It says such were some of you, but, but maybe you could say all of us were some of these things. But regardless, we were all sinners. And maybe not perfectly, maybe not instantly, maybe... Maybe not completely, but increasingly, it's called sanctification. 
We are the sons of God. We are to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And so I would just say this morning, if sexual sin is an in, a habit in your life or an increasing pattern that's unbroken, hear the heart of this message. Take warning from Proverbs 7 and from David and see the example of Joseph and, and I would love to talk with you if you would like to. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Won't be perfectly or instantly, but increasingly. My life is a testimony of that. You know, I don't have all the answers for you and for your specific situation. And I can't tell you exactly what to do to experience freedom, but Christ can. And His Holy Spirit will give you the power if you will receive Him. And He will continue in His Word and He will give you the power to be His Son, to know the truth. So the question for us this morning is, do I have a growing pattern of Christ-likeness in my life? There is nothing more liberating. There is nothing more freeing that will make you feel lighter or better than to have nothing to hide. Have nothing to hide. I don't care how little you may think it is or how serious it may be. It is possible to live life without, with nothing to hide. And I want to encourage you in that this morning. That whether it's serious failure or maybe it's something in your past that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But if there's something in your life that you've never talked with anyone about and you don't want to, you may not realize just how much of a drag it can be on your life and on your relationship with others. And I would just encourage you to find someone to just to share. I mean, it could be a counselor. Doesn't wouldn't necessarily always have to be. And just to, it's not that everything needs to be shared with everybody. It's not that it's ever appropriate to share most things with with most people, but that you could, and that you would have nothing to hide. You know, too many times we try to protect ourselves. Maybe we try to protect others. But you've saw movies. You've read the books. You've heard the testimonies. It doesn't work. To cover up. It always gets you in the end. And I just want to encourage you this morning to live life with nothing to hide. To be able to completely pour out everything from the past, every sin and that, that is something that you don't want to tell anyone. I have experienced great freedom from that myself. Your heart is light. You have nothing to hide. There's not an embarrassment. There's not a shame. There's not that weight that hangs over you. Even if it's not great, it can hold you back from fully being in, and um, 
relating in the way that God would have you to. James says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. So, am I able when I'm faced with Proverbs 7, Genesis 39, and 2 Samuel and David's account to run, to flee sexual immorality, all of it? encourage you in that tonight, to this morning. And I want you to know that Jesus wants to give you freedom. He wants to give you victory. That he, he rose from the dead and defeated hell and the grave. It is possible. This had been on my heart for a while and I, I felt like I needed to to teach on this, um, we're going to have some meetings in March for you men, some breakfasts, and I don't know where they're going to go, but maybe there'll be a little more practical application. Maybe there'll be a little more in-depth for any of you that have been challenged this morning by this message. And you don't have to wait till then to, to discuss. We can talk about it anytime, but I encourage you to live life with purpose To hide God's Word in your heart. To get wisdom. So that you can run when you find yourself in a place where maybe you shouldn't be. I had a verse that I was going to end with and it's left me, but I guess we'll just leave it with that. Blessings on your week. Let's look to Jesus for the strength to overcome and be free. Be free. Let's have a song.